Let's pray quickly together. Father in heaven, I pray that your spirit will be moving in our midst, helping us to see the great beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. Help us to cherish your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, before we tackle verses 8 and 9 this morning, I'd like to offer a few clarifying comments uh, about last week's sermon. I reflected this week on that sermon, and I listened to the audio. I thought about what I said. I thought about how I said it, and I even spoke to a few people about it. So I hope that these comments are, are helpful to you. First, anxiety is a delicate issue and is, for various reasons, extreme for some people. Traumatic experiences often intensify anxiety. And with that in mind, I wish that my tone last week would have been gentler and warmer and more pastoral like Paul was with the anxious Philippians. I'm still very much learning the dynamics of preaching, uh, so I appreciate your grace in, in this area. Second, anxiety is a complex issue. Uh, how our body, soul, mind, heart, will all relate is intricate. It's intricate. My focus last week was on what uh, Scripture says about the nucleus of anxiety, namely unbelief as Jesus diagnosed it. I didn't address how physiological conditions and symptoms relate and contribute to anxiety. Things like heart arrhythmia, AFib, hypothyroidism, alcoholism, drug addiction, sleep deprivation, poor nutrition, a sedentary lifestyle, and many other physiological things undoubtedly influence our hearts and minds and should be considered when struggling with anxiety. Physicians and pathology are gracious gifts from God. Uh, and very helpful in isolating medical conditions and symptoms that may be intensifying anxiety. Third, defining and understanding anxiety is tricky. Uh, we need to study Scripture deeply so we uh, define anxiety as God does, and we know and understand exactly what God counts as sinful. It's tricky because we don't want to misdiagnose physiological conditions or symptoms out of, uh, um, or out of control anxiety. We don't want to misdiagnose physiological things, as I think some people mistakenly do. Uh, and at the same time, we don't want to excuse anxiety as the Bible defines it and seek to justify sin by blaming anxiety on a physiological condition as if we're not responsible for it. So you can see why anxiety is a complex and a delicate issue. Keep Jesus in mind and think about this. As he anticipated bearing sin and suffering the righteous judgment of God, he sweated blood. Sweating blood is a physiological condition called hematidrosis, which is caused by emotional distress. Many would likely diagnose Jesus with anxiety, yet the Bible never says Jesus was anxious. Luke says he was in agony, which is similar, but it's different. It's different. In the deepest emotional angry, um, agony imaginable, Jesus remains sinless and never worried, never stopped trusting 
in God's sovereign plan and, and purpose. Throughout the emotional duress of the cross, Jesus was entirely submissive to God's will and perfectly joyful in God. Deep emotional anguish is not the same as anxiety. It may seem like semantics, uh, but it's an important biblical distinction when considering the sinfulness of anxiety. Fourth, worldly wisdom undermines the sufficiency and authority of God's word. Consider Romans 1. People reject scripture in order to justify sin. The world does not view the mind through the lens of scripture. So we must interpret the world's assessment of the mind carefully and biblically. All disciplines, including psychology, must bow beneath the supremacy, authority, reliability, and sufficiency of Scripture. We should always seek first, our first step, seek first to understand what Scripture says about something before we head to the subservient disciplines. Fifth and lastly, when Scripture commands something like, do not be anxious, We must be careful not to hear that command apart from the gospel. If we do, God's commandments are going to seem burdensome. We must hear God's precious commands in light of God's powerful grace. God graciously supplies us with his Holy Spirit to empower our effort of obedience. So hopefully those those comments are are helpful to you. This week and the past four weeks have been aimed at one simple thing, encouraging and equipping you to stand firm in the Lord. Encouraging and equipping you to stand firm in the Lord. As we've seen in verses 1 through 7, standing firm in the Lord involves agreeing with other saints in the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord always, letting our reasonableness and our graciousness be known to everyone, and not being anxious about anything, but instead pleading, supplicating, uh, praying, thanking God, and enjoying His protection of our hearts and minds in Christ. These verses are God lovingly training us how to be steadfast. Last week and this week are related. Verses 6 through 9 all involve the mind. All involve the mind. Anxiety and the mind are connected. What we think about can either give rise to anxiety or it can kill anxiety. So the mind is integral in overcoming anxiety and standing firm in the Lord. Notice the important connection between the peace of God in verse 7 and the God of peace in verse 9. We have the peace of God because we have the God of peace. When we have the protection of the God of peace, we are then free, we are liberated to, in Christ to think about things that build us up, things that strengthen us. In these verses... God is like a tender shepherd leading you to green pastures to graze upon thoughts that nourish and strengthen you. He leads you by his spirit to true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy things. So your heart and mind are healthy, happy, and safe in him. Jesus Christ can replace your broken and disordered mind with a healed and well-ordered mind. 
Let's begin with the mind of a steadfast Christian. The mind of a steadfast Christian. A God-centered mind is integral to standing firm in the Lord. If your mind is incessantly distracted, confused, anxious, scattered, irregular, irrational, unreasonable, fixated on sinful things, you won't stand firm. You won't stand firm. You can't stand firm if your mind is completely out of control. The beauty of the gospel is that God takes control of our out-of-control minds and stabilizes them in Christ. God reorders the mind which trusts in him. Paul told us earlier in Philippians 1 verse 6 that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you know how that pertains to the mind? As you trust Christ... God is working in you to conform your mind to the mind of Christ, a process God promises to complete. He will complete it. Paul has talked a lot about the mind in Philippians. He mentioned knowledge and all discernment in chapter 1. He also mentioned standing firm in one spirit with one mind in chapter 1. He said in chapter 2, verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, being of one mind. Three verses later, he added, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In chapter 3, verse 19, Paul talked about the enemies of the cross of Christ having minds set on earthly things, implying that citizens of heaven set their mind on heavenly things. So having the mind of Christ is essential for being a steadfast Christian. Think for a moment about what the mind is apart from Christ. The mind apart from Christ. What would your mind be like without Jesus? In Eden, when Adam and Eve transgressed the law of God, their minds changed fundamentally changed. Their minds became corrupted by sin and guilt, entirely corrupted. Their minds changed. They no longer thought like they were created to think. What Jesus said in Mark 7 verse 21 became true of every natural person after the fall, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. The natural Human mind, apart from Christ, needs redeeming, needs saving, needs transforming, needs an overhaul. It is inherently broken. Consider what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, because it it explains a lot about the human mind apart from Christ. Paul said this, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Do you understand that? The mind of the natural person cannot comprehend spiritual things. The the, the very things that set the mind free cannot get it. Cannot get it. The natural person cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God because they appear stupid and irrelevant. But the gospel transforms the natural mind into a spiritual mind. And Paul added in 1 Corinthians 2.16 that redeemed people have the mind of Christ. Wow. I love the show Fixer Upper. 
I've mentioned it before up here. And uh, I love Chip and Joanna Gaines. And I just finished their book, The Magnolia Story. Uh, thank you, Janice, for letting me borrow that book. And uh, they take some ram, if you've seen the show, some ramshackle houses, and they transform them into beautiful homes. And watching those transformations is exciting, not just for me, but for a lot of people. I mean, if you've seen it, they just have a gift of transformation. How much more exciting is it when, when Jesus takes broken, confused, anxious, befuddled, uh, disordered minds and transforms them into beautifully ordered minds? The mind of a steadfast Christian is a mind that is being transformed by Christ. So let's dig into verses 8 and 9, the thoughts of a steadfast Christian the thoughts of a steadfast Christian. When Paul told the Philippians what to think about, he addressed them tenderly as brothers and sisters in Christ. He, he sought to build them up. He said in verse 8, Finally, brothers, what warmth and affection the family of God shares. And right after, Paul encouraged them that the peace of God would guard their minds and their hearts in Christ Jesus, he created this list of virtues that the family of God thinks about. The virtues he mentioned were not exclusive to Christianity in his day. They showed up in Plato, Aristotle, the Stoics, even Jewish wisdom literature. So these virtues were present in Hellenistic culture as well. However, all of these virtues find their ultimate source and meaning in God himself. To whatever extent the culture is virtuous, it is all God's grace and merely a reflection of God's virtue. Scripture is our frame of reference for understanding what all these virtues that he lists, what they mean. Virtue makes no sense outside of God. That's one reason why atheistic worldviews are so untenable. They cannot adequately explain virtue. All virtue must be considered in light of the character and nature of God and his word. Let me borrow from apologist uh, Ravi Zacharias. This is kind of his line of reasoning that I've heard multiple times from him, and it's very helpful. When we say there is such thing as evil, we are assuming there is such thing as virtue. If there is virtue, it assumes there is a moral law which to differentiate between evil and virtue. If there is a moral law, we must assume it derives from a moral law giver. Atheism and agnosticism fail to offer a logical explanation of virtue because virtue finds its origin and meaning in God, the virtue giver. Here are the virtues that we, the redeemed people of God, the children of God, are to think about, are to fill our minds with. These are the virtues that the family of God, this is like the ethos of the family of God. This is what we set our minds on, what we contemplate. Think about what is true. What is true. Reality is precious. Absolute truth exists and is precious. We can know it. It stabilizes us. It enthralls our minds. Imagination is a wonderful gift. Absolutely. But it is a dangerous substitute for reality. Fantasy and fiction can enthrall our imagination. And actually, they can serve to help us grasp absolute truth, as C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien do. 
However, some people try to escape reality to live vicariously in a fantasy world from Disney to pornography. But fantasy and fiction fail and disappoint because they aren't true. They're not true. They create the unattainable. For children of God, if you think about this, reality is actually infinitely better and more fascinating than fantasy and fiction because the wildly wonderful promises of God are actually true. They're true. As Christians, we must set our minds on what is true. John 3.33 says, God is true. Jesus said in John 8.26, he who sent me is true. Jesus prayed to God in John 17, 17, your word is truth. The apex of truth is God and his revealed will, his word, which make fantasy and fiction look silly and mundane. So plain, so plain. When fantasy and fiction thrill us more than God thrills us, we are not seeing God as he actually is. We are not seeing clearly the reality of the glory of God. Our minds stand firm in the Lord when we fix them on what God deems true. Think about what is honorable. Noble, respectable, dignified things thrill and steady the mind. The other week, I was watching some of a discussion between Conan O'Brien and Jack White, one of the greatest rock and roll guitarists of all times, and they were talking about hard work in their crafts. I assume these men don't love Jesus. I don't know that, but that's my assumption. But their conversation about hard work was honorable in many respects because it reflected God's will for hard work. If Scripture is our filter for interpreting the world, we will see honorable things all around us, things that image the honorableness of God Himself. Our minds stand firm in the Lord when we fix them on what God deems honorable. Think about what is just. Fairness and equitableness are wonderful virtues worth contemplating. People long for equality. They long for uniformity and impartiality. Uh, Think about how things like racism and discrimination and cheating affect the mind. Injustice corrupts entire societies. Proverbs 12 verse 5 states, The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. How true that is. How can we have peace of mind in a world that is so unjust, so unfair, so imbalanced? Well, it's actually simple. We think about the reality of a just God who will make all things right, either through the cross of Jesus Christ or in eternity of hell. God promises justice, and justice we will have. Our minds stand firm in the Lord when we fix them on what God deems just. Think about what is pure. Our culture is brazenly impure. Sexual immorality is epidemic. Modesty is almost dead. Objectification of women and men is pervasive. Vulgarity is ordinary. Everything is polluted. 
When you encounter something pure, it's striking because of its rarity, like a, like a young couple in love that doesn't live together or have sex before they get married. God loves purity, innocence, decency, propriety, and purity does wonders for the mind. Psalm 12, verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Pure. Psalm 19, verse 8 says, The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. If you want to see things clearly in life, With intellectual and spiritual acuity, hide God's pure commandments in your mind and heart. Our minds stand firm in the Lord when we fix them on what God deems pure. Think about what is lovely. When something is truly lovely, exquisite, agreeable, it gives us incredible pleasure and joy. God is supremely lovely. And whatever is genuinely lovely dimly reflects his loveliness. I saw something lovely this Christmas. With a big smile, my lovely daughter, Maria, after receiving a gift from her brother that he had made, handcrafted for her to love her, went over to him threw her arms around her brother and said, thank you, Jeremiah, I love it. I saw the loveliness of God in my children. Psalm 84, verse one says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. And pair that with Psalm 27, verse four, which says, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Our minds stand firm in the Lord when we fix them on what God deems lovely. Think about what is commendable. Let me ask you a question. What do you applaud and why? We must admire what God admires. Now, the world may applaud when Steph Curry drops 46 points against the Pelicans and shoots 13 for 17 from beyond the arc. That's beautiful. That's lovely. That's lovely. And I think that we should applaud that, but let us applaud Andrew Brunson even more for suffering for Christ in a Turkish prison. It is sad to see what so many people in our culture applaud. Let our applaud as the people of God be completely different than the world's. Our minds stand firm in the Lord when we fix them on what God deems commendable. Think about what is excellent and worthy of praise. All of these virtues are excellent and and praiseworthy and very, very, very worth thinking about. Paul concluded, think about these things. Ponder them, study them, linger on them, mull them over, wallow in them. You see, anxiety thrives in a mind that broods and lingers on adverse, unfavorable, distressing, and immoral things. But with the protection of God's peace, our minds are liberated from destructive things and freed to enjoy dwelling on virtuous things. 
The the best place to see these virtues that we just looked at is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the embodiment of these virtues. So ultimately, our minds stand firm in the Lord when we fix them on Christ, whom God deems most excellent and most praiseworthy. And we set our minds on Christ when we see him revealed in Scripture, Holy Scripture. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 are very good for an anxious mind. They tell us to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Isn't that what it feels like sometimes to be anxious? It's like cutting up. It it clings so closely And the writer of Hebrews is saying, lay it aside. Take that weight, put it somewhere else. That sin, just just get rid of it because it's clinging so closely, which no doubt is casting our anxieties on the Lord, on Christ. But then it says this, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. How does someone in the middle of chaos look to Jesus? They fix their mind and attention on him as he is presented in the scripture, and they trust him. They trust what he tells them in scripture. The way to have a healthy happy, whole, and steadfast mind is for Christ to control your mind and to reveal to you himself in whom all virtue finds its greatest expression. There are countless opportunities every day for us to think about untrue, dishonorable, unjust, impure, unlovely, uncommendable, mediocre, and blameless or blameworthy things. They come through TV Movies, YouTube, Facebook, magazines, newspapers, blogs, employers, and on and on and on. Is it possible, my friends, to not think about things that are corrupt? Is it possible not to think of vice? Now, I want to be clear about something, and I think this is helpful. God doesn't mean we shouldn't ever think about bad things. Stay with me. There is a God-glorifying way to think about bad things. Here's what I mean. In order to uphold truth and justice, courts need to think about horrific evidence and uncover lies. Godly parents need to think and talk about the sin in their children so that they can help teach their children through it and see them get victory in it. Loving pastors must preach the truth, unapologetically the truth, but but we must do something else. We must expose heresy and tell you the, the, the messed up thinking that is not in accordance with God's word. We shouldn't think about images of pornography, yet we should think about the destructive effects of pornography in order to uphold purity and help people pursue it. Are you following me? Do you see the difference God desires his children to think like him. As we meditate on scripture and immerse our minds in virtue, God guards and governs our minds. We avoid dwelling on evil and being consumed by it. We think about evil shrewdly and in light of the gospel and our minds align with Christ. That right there is the recipe for peace of mind. 
Colossians 3 verse 2 wisely advises this. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things, not on things that are on earth. Why? Why do that? Paul said in verse 3, for or because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Our minds should be set on Christ precisely because we belong to Christ. He, he has purchased us. Now, I wish we had time to study Romans 8. It would be wonderful, but we would be here for a long time. And so study Romans 8 this week, please, for your own benefit, because it thoroughly explains what I'm getting at here. But let me mention one thought, verse 6, Paul said, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. If you set your mind on all the things of the world, anxieties, cares, pleasures, delights, vices, all the things of the world, if worldly thinking controls your mind, you're dead. You're dead. The way to live, the way to have peace, true peace of mind, is to set your mind on the Spirit. The Spirit. Paul said in Romans 12, verse 2, very famously, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Mind. The only other place that the word renewal shows up in Scripture is Titus 3, verse 5, which talks about the Holy Spirit doing the renewal. So I take the renewal of your mind to mean the Holy Spirit works in you to change your thoughts, to totally reorient how you think. The Spirit lives in your mind and works from within you to conform your thoughts to Christ. And that, saints, is so beautiful. The gospel is beautiful, what he does to our minds. If your mind is fearful, if your mind is confused, overwhelmed, anxious, disordered, the best thing you can do is open your Bible and as you commune with God, you plead with him to transform and renew your mind by his spirit through his word. Ask God to fill your mind with thoughts after his thoughts, with his truth, with his virtue, and trust him to transform and renew your mind. Physiological and pathological conditions of the brain and the body are wise to investigate and seek to cure, but the greatest way to promote a healthy, happy, whole, and God-directed mind is to set your mind on Jesus and all that Jesus deems virtuous. That's where the power is. That's where the peace is. He is our peace. He is what we should think about. And in those moments where we just get beat down and our thoughts are so out of control, trust me, I know it, we need to center on Christ. We need to quickly run back to Christ and allow him to pour his promises into us through his word so we know what to think. We, we can't do this on our own without God speaking into us. And we do that when we come to his word humbly and allow him just pour into us. Virtue, 
That's where the power is. But it's not just about your thoughts. It's about your thoughts translating into actions. The practices of a steadfast Christian. The practices of a steadfast Christian. Standing firm in the Lord is in the mind and in the actions. Listen to verse 9 again. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Paul brought the the gospel to the Philippians. They learned it, received it, and heard it. That means they discerned it. They took hold of it. They they obtained it. They accepted it. They were transformed by it. They even watched the gospel at work in Paul. He was for them an example to follow. Remember when Paul said, brothers, join in imitating me? Paul taught them in person, but he also taught them through this letter which sprung out of his suffering for Christ. So this letter is also what they learned, received, heard, and saw in him in no uncertain terms. He was very, very clear about this. Paul told them, practice these things. Don't just think about what I've written, Philippians. Do what I've written. Better yet, do it because God is doing it in you. Christianity is rational. It must be thought deeply in the mind. Christianity is emotional. It must be felt deeply in the heart. Christianity is volitional. It must be chosen deeply in the will. And Christianity is reactional. It must be walked deeply in the life. Please listen carefully to this point. Some people emphasize obeying God's laws to such great extent that God's commandments overshadow God's sovereign grace and power, and Christianity is reduced to human action. It becomes theistic humanism. The gospel is lost in that system. Others emphasize God's sovereign grace in a manner that diminishes human responsibility to obey God's commands, which ultimately excuses sin and reduces Christianity to antinomianism, which says, I don't really need to obey God, I just need to believe because after all, I'm in a state of grace. The gospel is lost in that system as well. Instead of these two extremes, we need to realize that God's sovereign grace and saving grace is also at the very same time God's inevitably empowering grace which motivates us to do what he tells us to do. Sometimes as Christians, we have this mentality. I've heard this in people. I'm sure I've done it. We have this mentality. I'm just a sick and twisted and messed up, horrible person that's a sinner who can't do anything right. A Christian now. You know that's actually not true? Yes, we struggle deeply with our sinful nature. Yes, we struggle with ongoing sin. And of course, we are not perfect yet. But we are children of God. We are saints. We are citizens of heaven. We are temples of the Holy Spirit who can practice these things. As Paul instructs, not because we are great, but because Jesus, who is at work in us, is supremely and infinitely great. It is our God who is great. 
That's why we can do it, because we have Him. Our attitude as Christians should be, I can think about these things. I can practice these things, because my God is great, and He is at work in me. I know it, and I will be completed and made whole in the day of Christ. It comes down to this promise. And the God of peace will be with you. And the God of peace will be with you. Think about that. We have the peace of God because we have the God of peace. The presence of God in us makes all the difference in having the right mind, having a clear mind, a lucid mind, a a responsible mind, a not anxious mind. In a life filled with anxieties, the presence of God is an unparalleled promise and blessing. As you practice the things Paul lists, you know, as as you're pondering all those virtues and the things that show and display God's virtue... As, as you, you do those things and practice those things and practice all that is in Philippians, you know that God is with you, guarding your heart and your mind, protecting you because he loves you, because he is with you, because he will not let you fall, because he will not let you perish. In Colossians 3, verse 15, Paul talks about letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Anxiety must not rule you. Fear must not rule you. Lust must not rule you. Greed must not rule you. The peace of Christ must reign and rule in your heart and in your mind. And so I'd like to to end with Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. It beautifully explains what our God of peace does for us in Christ. Listen to this. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, park on that all week. Why would God work in our minds and set our minds on virtuous things? Why? Why would he be so gracious? Sinners like us, like you and me, why? Because he is equipping us with good things, virtuous things, so we can do his will. On top of that, God is graciously working in us through Jesus Christ so that we do what pleases him. Do you know, dear brother and sister in Christ, as you trust Christ, you can please God. It's not just like, oh, I'm a mess. Everything I do is wrong, wrong, wrong. We're struggling with sin, absolutely. But you can please your father through Christ. Isn't that amazing? God looks at you and smiles. Oh, man, this is good stuff. This is real. This is, this is what the anchor of the soul and the mind and the heart is. And guess what happens? All glory goes to Christ. He, God is pleased in us at what we do because Christ is working in us and Christ gets glory. This is amazing. Please listen. You can stand firm. 
You can. You really can. This is not a pipe dream. You can do everything that we've studied these past five weeks. You, you can do it only in the Lord. That's the only way that it's going to happen. In communion and in union with your Lord. And, and a little plug for next week. You don't want to miss next week because we're going to see how we can actually do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Father in heaven, we are dazed and confused. Without Christ, our minds are so out of control. We are all bottled up with anxiety and fear and lust and greed and selfishness We think about ourselves all the time. God, our minds, apart from Christ, are really messed up. And the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the reason why we preach hope every Sunday throughout the year in Christ is because Christ has the power and the grace and the love to transform our minds and to give us a healthy, happy, whole, ordered, content mind. The world misunderstands the mind because it does not view it through the lens of Scripture. It doesn't look at it the way you look at it. You know what our problem is, and you know how to fix it. You. You are the fix. So God, I pray, including myself and all my brothers and sisters in Christ who are here today, and anyone here today that is not yet a brother and sister in Christ, they don't know you, they don't know the rich blessing of a father who protects them at all times, that all of us would see our necessity, our great need, our great desperation for Christ to come and to reorder our minds, to to control us, so that we think what we're supposed to think, because so many times I don't think what I'm supposed to think. So God, would you come to all of us and may your spirit work in us so that our minds can be the mind of Christ, that we could think his thoughts, that we could think of the pure things, and may your Holy Spirit get rid of the destructive thoughts, the ones that, that rule us and, and kick us around so much that we can't seem to shake. God, you can take care of it. You are our refuge. You are our strength. You are our healer. You are our physician. You are our psychologist. You are our psychiatrist. You are our shrink. You are our everything. So I just pray that you do a powerful work of grace in somebody's life, in mine, in in these dear people, that they could see the glories of Christ and rejoice that they have the mind of Christ and that they would set their minds on beautiful and lovely and wonderful and pure and good things that would then transform them and then give them discernment to know how to think through all the bad stuff, that we could be shrewd in how we do that. Give us discernment and discretion. God, heal our minds. We need you to heal our minds and to direct them to the good things. All for your glory. All for the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen.